0: Thanks, everybody, for coming out tonight for week three. I'm Sarah Herring, if I haven't met you yet. I'm married to the wonderful Jake Herring, um, and I'm also the one who sends you all the annoying emails. So, um, <clears throat> But thank you for coming. So author John Reinhardt says this. He says, sometimes we need to read history so that we don't repeat it. Other times, we need to read it so that we do. And I thought that was really good for this class because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to teach history and teach about people that we do want to repeat, that we do want to be like. And we've gone through time and we've learned about several people. We've learned about Polycarp in the second century. We've learned about Perpetua and Felicity in the third century. We've learned about Gregory the Great in the 7th century, and tonight I want to introduce you to another woman. And before we begin, and before I introduce you to her, we're going to play a little game. Because who doesn't like a game? I was going to make you stand up for this game, but I thought, well, you just sat down, so I won't make you stand up. But the game is really simple. I'm going to say a name of a person, and if you know who that person is, I want you to raise your hand. Raise it up really high and proud. Now, this game isn't to shame anyone. I don't want you to feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know who the person is. I'm not trying to shame you. It's just, we're just making a point about something, okay? So, it's okay if you don't know who the person is. So, we'll start simple and make our way into it. So, raise your hand if you know who Bill Gates is, okay? Raise your hand if you know who Steve Jobs is, okay? How about Paul in the Bible? Okay. How about William Tyndale? Getting a little bit harder. How about Martin Luther? All right. How about Melinda French Gates? Okay. How about Steve Wozniak? Okay. How about Phoebe in the Bible? Okay. How about Humphrey Monmouth? All right, and how about Katharina von Bora? Okay, so did you notice at the beginning, most hands were raised, and about as we got to about halfway through the list, the hands started getting less and less. Now, what's interesting about those names is halfway through, I started listing off the names of the famous people, their patrons, or partners, if you will. People like Steve Wozniak, some of you know who that is. He helped Steve Jobs build the first Apple computer in their garage. Or William Tyndale, uh, he supported, he was supported by Humphrey Monmouth so that William Tyndale could translate the Bible into English. So people like this, These are the patrons that helped these other people, but the patrons aren't well-known. They're helping the famous people be famous by either helping them with inventions or gospel proclamation or Bible translation or the Reformation. And one of these patrons that I want to introduce you to today is Katharina von Bora. Now these patrons, aren't heroes based on just their proximity to these famous people. No, they're influential people who have influenced history because they have influenced these people with their encouragement, with their work. And we want to learn about Katharina today because she has influenced the Reformation in a great way because she influenced Martin Luther. So Katharina von Bora, was married to Martin Luther. Now some of you may recognize that name and go, oh yeah, I know who Martin Luther is. It's Martin Luther King Jr., the well-known civil rights movement activist, right? I've actually had a few people say that to me as they're asking me who I'm gonna teach about. So I'm just gonna start there, that I'm not talking about that person, although I'm sure that Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife, Coretta Scott, King, did many great things. We're not going to talk about her tonight. We're talking about Martin Luther, the German monk, priest, and theologian who led the great Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. So now you might be thinking, okay, she's going to tell me all about this woman's husband, and that's what made her great. But I want you to know that Katharina von Bora did some amazing things, and I want to teach you about her life because there's a lot to learn um, from her life. So tonight we're going to look at her life, and we're going to look at what we can learn from her. So let's start off by looking at her life. Katharina, um, who's also known as Katie, was born on January 29th, 1499 in Lippendorf, Germany. She was born to an aristocratic family who fell on some hard times, and we don't know much about her childhood other than when she was three years old, her mother died, and her father remarried, and when her father remarried, they sent her off to a convent. Now, a convent is just a fancy name for a school for girls um, who generally are raised up and become nuns. Some of them don't, but most of them do. So she lived her childhood from three years old until she was grown in a convent, which I just can't imagine uh, living that life. And when she was 16 years old, she took the veil, which means she became a nun. Now, it's argued whether or not this was forced upon her or if she did it um, by her own will. We don't know. But she became a nun at 16, and she spent... Um, some time being a nun. Now we're going to pause her story there, and we're going to take a look at Martin Luther. Now Martin Luther was also a monk, but the reason why he became a monk is very different than Catherine of von Bora. And if you know that story, it's really interesting. You can go uh, read that by yourself. It's a, a pretty cool story. But he was a monk, and while he was in the monastery, he received a Bible. And remember from your reading uh, this week that most people of that time didn't have access to the Bible because in that time, reading the scriptures was held to the highest level in the church, right? So if you think back to Gregory the Great, um, which we learned about last week, they didn't want more uh, heresy to come into the church. And so really, them reserving the right of reading the scriptures and teaching the scriptures was started to protect from heresy, but it turned into just a terrible way of controlling people. And so Martin Luther had never read the Bible for himself, and this gift was very special to him. He received Uh, the Bible, and it actually was written in Latin because at that time there was not a German translation of the Bible. And Martin Luther read the Bible and he was changed forever because he learned a few things. He learned that, wow, we can read the Bible for ourselves, and salvation comes by faith and grace alone, not through works and all these other things. And from that point on, the Holy Spirit lit the flame in Martin Luther to make a change in the church or to reform the Roman Catholic Church to become what the church was called to be in the Bible. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of Wittenberg's Castle Church. Now, this is a place where um, you would make a public announcement in Wittenberg. So think of like a social media post or like a, more like a press release in our day. So it's a public announcement. So he nails the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg Castle. And in this 95 Thesis, it, it said a lot, but it basically, if you wanna just kind of narrow it down to a few things, he was claiming that he wanted to, the Roman Catholic Church to do a few things. One of which, he was claiming that the Roman Catholic Church should no longer sell indulgences, that the Bible should be our ultimate authority, and that salvation comes by faith and grace alone. And these statements, as soon as they hit that door, it just set a ripple effect around. And the 95, I didn't know this, the 95 Thesis was copied and printed for people to read, and so it spread quickly, and it even made its way to Katie's convent. So fast forward several years, Katie's still in her convent, and now Martin Luther is out preaching, and he's teaching in a regular language to regular people, which was not done in that day and age. And what he was teaching was what he read in the Bible, that you didn't need to approach God through priests or through monks or nuns, uh, that anyone could read the Bible for themselves, that you didn't have to work for your salvation. He taught that you can serve God outside the monasteries and outside convents. Uh, He also taught, which this one was very strange, for people to hear, he taught that God ordained marriage and therefore priests and monks and nuns could get married. And all of this was on the basis of the Bible. And he so much so wanted people to be able to read the Bible for themselves that he spent night and day translated, translating the Latin Bible into German. So here's where Martin and Katharina... <laughs> Cross paths, because Martin's talks, the the things that he was teaching, and part of his translation of the German Bible made their way into Katharina's convent. And she was rocked to the core. She didn't know what to do with it. And her and eleven other nuns questioned and prayed and fasted and waited on the Lord. And they finally decided, we're going to sneak out of this convent. So one of the nuns, they don't know who, they reached out to Martin Luther and they said, hey, we want to get out. Will you help us? And he said, actually, I know a guy. This guy by the name of Leonard Kopp, who delivered barrels of fish every week to the convent. He said, I think this man is going to help you. So they got in touch. They made a plan. And 12 nuns, including Katharina Van Bora, they snuck out of her window at night and got into these barrels of fish or into the wagon. Depends on what you read. Either way, it's going to be gross, I think. Um, They got in. They hid. And Leonard Kopp helped them escape the convent. Now, Leonard is... A hero himself, because in that day, if he were to have been caught helping the nuns escape, he would have been killed instantly. And so just, just think about that. Even for him to give his life for these women um, is amazing to me. So they traveled miles hidden in these fish or around the fish or whatever, um, and they finally made it to Wittenberg. Now, they're not out of danger yet because when they got to Wittenberg now, they have to be able to live, right? These are single women in that day and age that they need cared for. So they had one of three choices. They could get married, they could go back to their home and live with their parents, or they could work for families. So the women kind of dispersed and did one of those three things, and Katie ended up going to work for a family. Now, during that time, Martin Luther continued his Reformation, and a lot of people asked him, "If you believe so much so that priests and monks can get married, why aren't you married?" Which is a valid question. And he said, um, he said, "Why would I get married if everyone's saying I'm going to be martyred soon?" Okay. Valid answer. So that that was his answer when anyone asked him until one day, no one knows exactly why, but something changed his mind, and Luther decided he was gonna propose to Katie. Now, when I read this, I thought instantly of you salt students in here because I, I just laughed out loud when I read this. So he proposes to Katie. And then people asked him, you know, when are you going to get married? That's always the question. And they said, do you want a long engagement? And this is what he said. Like, this is a quote in one of the books. They said, do you want a long engagement? And he said, don't procrastinate. The gifts of God are to be taken on a wing. And I just thought that's hilarious. So they, he proposed, and they got married on a Tuesday. So it was like, all right. So, maybe you want to do that, maybe not. But Luther was 41 and Katie was 26. So, big age gap there. But they were married and ironically, they moved into a monastery that was empty because this was the monastery that Martin Luther left and actually all the other monks followed him and left. And so, this monastery sat empty and was given to Martin Luther. And so, they moved into this monastery where there was 40 rooms in this house, and they filled all the 40 rooms with traveling guests, with other people who were coming to visit. They cared for eight orphans and eventually had six children. Let that just sink in. Like, I'm overwhelmed taking care of our house but just think about that. They filled all 40 rooms with people. They truly lived a generous life. And they loved each other deeply. They had a mutual respect for for one another. And here's what's said about their marriage. It'll be up on the screen. It says, Their marriage became a pattern of mutual love and esteem, which paved the way for romanticism in marriage. Something rare in Germany of that time where the view of marriage was still largely that of Middle Ages, in which the main considerations were preserving the family name and securing property. Together, and without in the least intending it, they created an open, trusting, and caring partnership that left its stamp on the German home life for centuries to come. Isn't that awesome? So here's our first lesson we learn from Katie is just a simple example of a godly marriage that they lived. We see a godly marriage on display that was full of selflessness and servant-heartedness that they displayed for all around them, and it really changed German homes for history. So Martin Luther said this about marriage. He said, there's no room for rampant individualism in marriage. Each must consider each other, and each are shaped by the other. Think about that. There's no room for individualism. I needed to hear that this week. When you get in arguments, or when you just want to be self-serving. He also said the first love is a kind of intoxication. When that has worn off, then comes the real marriage love. They served one another self-sacrificially. Katie served her family in a lot of ways through household tasks, which you can imagine. How many household tasks there would be with 40 rooms, eight orphans, six children, and lots of guests. She also took care, which this is awesome, she took care of a whole other orchard and a full garden so that they could provide for their family because they needed income. So she had an orchard that she would sell Um, apples and different things out of their garden. And she also served her family by loving Martin Luther through his times of sickness. Now, Martin Luther was a very sickly man physically and emotionally. He walked through a lot of seasons of terrible depression. And she served him. She helped nurse him back to health a lot of times when he was just right there on the edge of death through physical and emotional illness, Now, although Katie was a servant of servants, she wasn't a pushover. She was a bold woman. She's known for her boldness and her wittiness, uh, and she had a mind of her own. She knew who she was, and her identity was secure in Christ, which I think that she needed to be strong, because think about how strong the woman needed to be in order to be married to the man who was leading this large reformation. And God knew she needed to be strong in order to complement Martin Luther's strong personality. So here's an example that I want to share of just a story that I think is a great story that represents her wittiness and her boldness to speak truth to her husband. So it says this, Martin Luther was at one time so depressed that his friends recommended him to go away for a change of air, to see if he could get relief for his depression. He went away, but he came home as miserable as ever. When he went into the sitting room, his wife Katie was there, dressed all in black. And her children all around her were all in black as well. Oh, no, said Luther, who is dead? Why? Said she. Dr. Martin, have not you heard that God is dead? My husband, Martin Luther, would never be in such a state of mind if he had a living God to trust in. (sighs) Then he burst out in a hearty laughter and said, Katie, thou art a wise woman. I have been acting as if God were dead, and I will do so no more. Go and take off your black clothing." which I just think that's such a great witty way to be like, snap out of it. Um, And she was. She was just a woman that was strong and bold and could speak truth to her husband. So what do we learn from Katie? Well, we've learned about her godly marriage, but we also learn from her that all of life is spiritual because she went from being a nun, which is one of the highest holy callings of a woman in that time, right? She left that high holy calling in her time to be a housewife in ministry. And this is what Luther says about that in one of his books. He says, monastic life is not superior to other callings. Just think about that. Monastic life is not superior to other callings. With just a stroke of a pen, this concept that he's talking about raised the status of all work. Every kind of work may be equally a vocation or ministry. That's what he's talking about, vocation. The home is as sacred as the monk's cell. The mother at the bedside of a sick child is doing God's work every bit as much as in none keeping vigil in the convent. As we hear about Katie's story, we need to be reminded and encouraged that all of life is spiritual. You could fill in those blanks with anything that you think that you do in your life that's mundane. Just like think about the things that you're like this is meaningless, why do I do it? But it's God's work. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, or you work at Viking Pump, or you work at John Deere, whether you're a school teacher or a student, a CEO, or an intern, a pastor or a pastor's wife, all of life is spiritual. Why? Because we're told in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And Colossians 3.23 says something similar. What? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I want to just write that little part like everywhere in my house. That just really stuck with me this week above my kitchen sink when I'm doing dishes or sweeping the floor or whatever it might be, you are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever we do, we're working for the Lord, not for man. So think about your life. Sometimes we separate our life into like secular and sacred, and we need to get rid of that. We need to think about our life as all of life is spiritual and everything we can do to the glory of God. So tonight we need to be encouraged that even though you don't think I'm not in ministry, we can live on mission for the glory of God. The other lesson that we can learn from Katie is that she was just a partner. She was a partner in ministry for Martin Luther. And when we started, we talked about different patrons, right? Katharina is the patron of gospel of Martin Luther. And many of these patrons that we talked about are not known, but their lives and their work is reflected in the lives of the famous people that we know. And Katie did this for Martin Luther in a few ways. She took care of the household things, yes, but she also encouraged Martin Luther, and she spoke bold truth to him. She encouraged him when he struggled with deep depression and attacks of lies from the Satan. They didn't live an easy life, which if you can just imagine what, what it would be like to be married to someone who was leading the Reformation, who was excommunicated from the church, and they thought was going to be burned at the stake. That's not an easy life to live. On top of that, they had two children that passed away. One daughter named Elizabeth, she died when she was just a few months old, and another daughter, Magdalene, died when she was early teens. So, From that, Luther needed a lot of encouragement, and Katie gave him that. He said, so great is the power of assailing me that my own knowledge of the Bible is not enough to protect and help me, but I must be strengthened by the words of Scripture out of the mouths of my friends. Now, if someone who translated the whole Bible into another language could say that, I think we need that too. If someone could say that the Bible that I know is not enough, that I need to hear the Bible spoken through my friends to me, I think we need that too. We need our friends to remind us of the simple truths of the gospel every day. And Katie did this for Martin Luther. She reminded him again and again of the truths and encouragement that he needed to hear. And from that came a lot of hymns that Martin Luther wrote, one of which we sing here at Candeo, which is a mighty fortress. And I wonder, as we sing that song, I wonder what truths Katie whispered to Martin Luther in those deep, dark nights of the soul I wonder what words in that song are written really by Katie. Because she spoke quietly. She encouraged him in those deep, dark times. And I think that her truths from God echo into history. So are we an encouragement to those around us? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. If your marriage if you're married, are you encouraging your spouse? All of us, are we speaking encouragement to our brothers and sisters around each other? Are we daily encouraging each other? To encourage means just to give courage, right? And so think about your words. Are they giving courage to those around me? So she encouraged Martin Luther, but... She also used her words to be bold with him, kind of like the story about wearing all black and telling him you're basically acting like your God is dead. So she was bold with him, and she spoke truth to him. And we need to boldly speak truth to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, there's a difference between Boldly speaking truth and being a nag to someone, right? You've all been there and you know the difference. So the easiest way to tell the difference is when you're speaking to someone, ask yourself, am I saying these words to build this person up or am I saying these words to tear them down? Or another way to put it is, are these words putting wind in their sail or a hole in their boat? And specifically to the wives in this room, we have a lot of power with our words to our husbands that we can either help them succeed or just really put a hole in their boat and help them sink. And so, really think wisely about the words that you're using to your spouse. We can use words of encouragement, we can use words of truth to our friends, our brothers and sisters, but a side note, if you're going to share words of truth with someone, you need to know truth. So you have to constantly be filling your mind with truth and spending time in God's word. Katharina was known for her daily time in God's word And when uh, Martin Luther finally finished the translation of the whole Bible into German, she read it front to back. Now, if a woman serving six children and eight orphans can do that, I think I can find time in my day to read God's word. So I have thoroughly enjoyed studying Katharina von Bora for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons I think... I honestly think I find just a a camaraderie with her. Um, I feel that we're similar in some ways in the way of being married to someone in ministry. And Jake encouraged me just to share a little bit of what does that look like for the sake of our pastor's wives, elders' wives. Um, And I think that sometimes when you're married to someone in ministry, it can be lonely. There can be times where it feels like there's expectations put uh, on you or on your family um, that's different. Um, but if I could share just two things on behalf of our elders' wives, which if you know our pastor's wives, they are amazing. Like we have some of the most amazing godly women at this church, and I'm so proud of them. And a couple things that I would share on their behalf. One, the first thing is just thank you. Thank you for not being a church. I I can think about different churches that I've been a part of that the church expects the pastor's wife to be the person who leads the singing, plays the piano, directs the choir, serves in the nursery, delivers the casseroles, you name it, you know. But I don't, I personally don't feel that expectation. And I know that the other wives don't feel that either. And I think that speaks to a plurality of leadership in our church and just an amazing body that uses their gifts. If you could just even see the Titus 2 page on Facebook for the women. If there's a need posted, it's taken care of by the end of the day. It's done. And I think that's just, that's amazing. We have, we just, we have an amazing church. I'm going off my notes. I'll stop. But the other thing I would just share on behalf of the elders' wives is if you know one of the elders' wives, if you have a personal relationship with one of them, take a minute To pursue them as a friend, not in order to get something from them. Pursue them as a friend and just take a minute to encourage them. Just speak some words of life into someone today that you know and be patient with them. They're wonderful, wonderful women. So there's so much more I could share about Katie, but our time's up. But let me leave you with this. Katie lived a faithful life. She became a widow um, at a pretty young age. She was 47 when she became a widow. When Martin Luther actually died away from home while he was working, he was traveling away from home. And when she heard of his death, when the person came and told her that he had died, she instantly started reciting a psalm. That was um, memorized by her and Luther together. And this psalm was Psalm 31. It says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me and rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. What else does that sound like? A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. May our lives be filled with lives that are marked with boldness and encouragement and strong anchors in God's word that we can live on mission wherever we're at, whatever we're doing for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the ability to come to you in prayer. Thank you for your word that we can read it, that anyone can read it. Thank you for salvation that comes through the blood of Jesus, not through works of our own doing. God, thank you for women who have gone before us, like Katharina von Bora, that can spur us on to live faithful lives whatever we have as a task before us, that we can be faithful with it and glorify you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we're going to break out throughout the building um, and answer these three questions. Uh, There we go. Uh, So how does Katharina von Bora's life spur you on to live faithfully today? What parts of your life do you view as secular How can you view what you do every day as spiritual? So this is what we talked about at the beginning. All of life is spiritual. Who has been an encouragement and or true speaker to you? And how did they go about doing that? Sometimes it's helpful just to know what did they do so that we can do that uh, for other people. So if you're going to be going out of this room, we have some of the questions printed on the back table that you can take with you. And we just ask that um, you wrap it up yourself whenever you're done and um, grab your kids before eight and then we can leave these chairs set up when you're done. So thanks for coming and happy Thanksgiving.